The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said, There was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being. And a widow in that town used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me against my adversary. For a long time the judge was unwilling, but eventually he thought, While it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her, lest she finally come and strike me. The Lord said, Pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones, who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. I've mentioned this before, but there is just great humor in the scriptures, if you really think about it. This parable Jesus is talking about, he describes the judge as one who, you know, does not fear God, doesn't respect any human being. And then the judge, you know, he thinks, yeah, I don't fear God. I respect no human being. Like, that's hilarious because it's like the narrative becoming reality. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, I think it's hilarious. So let's start with a multiple choice question today. There's a lot of uh, options, and it's kind of a trick question, so try to follow along. Is the necessity to pray always, A, to get what we want, B, to have justice bestowed, C, because it's required, D, because praying is good, E, all the above, F, all the above but A. What do you think? I think it's F, because last night I gave the wrong answer, so I fixed it. (laughs) So we see that prayer is actually, it's not only and ever should be to get what we want. That's not a, a good reason to pray, though it's a reason often we do. But we see in this particular gospel uh, the call for justice. This woman is going to this judge who is, you know, unfearing of God, doesn't care about people. He's dishonest, like it's known to us. And yet, he, desi- he, he decides to offer justice to her so that, one, he doesn't get beat up by her, which is totally fine. But it's because justice is what the ultimate end of prayer should be. So we see that prayer is for justice, the good that God sees in our situation, rather than the illusionary good that we think is in our best interests. And that's challenging, because we might be going through something and thinking, Lord, if you can just fix this, if you can just remove this person from my life, or you can you know, resolve this situation, I will be happy, life will be good. And the Lord is seeing and looking at that in a grander scheme and says, actually, I know what's good for you because I made you. And I know what's good for this situation because 
I've ordered this situation. I've, I've designed it. And so there is a requirement of trust on our part, but also the ability to accept God's will. The last part of the gospel, right, is a little bit of a challenge, but also an affirmation for us. Because Jesus tells us that God will respond. That justice will be given speedily. The challenge, how do we define speedily? Our time or his? Now the answer is his, yes. But still we we want some type of practical, objective number. Lord, I asked for this on Tuesday. I expect an answer by Friday. And that's just not going to happen. I've, I've never seen that. If you've had that experience, tell me your secret. I want to know. So what we're living in, in a situation like this, is in seeking God's justice, is we're allowing for his time, which we would call kairos. Say kairos. Yeah, so that means God's time. It's a Greek word. It's spelled with a K, in case you're curious. K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos. And so we're living in God's time in the deliverance of justice. Okay, I want to take a a little bit of a a turn here. This past week, I was away for a few days. All the priests of the diocese gathered, and we had our continuing education days, which was really great. And the focus this year was on the Eucharistic revival. Now, I've talked a little bit about this, but has anyone at this point not heard about the Eucharistic revival? Good, because you all just heard about it, so no one raised your hand. Excellent. So the Eucharistic Revival is a United States nationwide um, mission over the next three years. And we're beginning the first year this year. And the focus is to revive not just our knowledge, but our love of the Eucharist. And so uh, Bishop Cousins, who is a bishop up in Minnesota, he actually gave a few of our talks. He's the one kind of heading all of this up. And he just laid out like really beautifully what the goal of this is, why it's happening. So I just want to share a a little bit of that with you. And I want to begin by telling you what the Eucharistic Revival is not. The Eucharistic Revival is not a program. I'm not sure what your experiences are, but when you have a beautiful idea and it comes from the Lord and you try to like initiate it and someone gets a hold of it and they turn it into a program and just kind of crumbles and dies. So this is not a program, (laughs) but it's God's doing. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. And Bishop Cousins described it as being a fire. I'm like, that's so cool. A fire to consume our hearts and our souls so that we can come to have encounter, an encounter with someone, not just something. And in this encounter, we are called, as as the faithful of the church, to respond then to this someone, namely Jesus Christ. How does this tie into the gospel today? Well, the gospel talks about the necessity to pray always without becoming weary. And we pray always without becoming weary because it is just, because it is good, because it allows God's justice to be given to us. And when it comes to encountering God, that requires a level of persistence 
and perseverance to do it always without becoming weary because the Eucharist, while the source and summit of our faith, is also really challenging to grasp at times. To think that this almighty, omnipotent God who humbled himself in a way to become human flesh and retain his divinity through Jesus Christ also goes even further to allow his body and blood to be received in the Eucharist every day from now until the second coming. That he takes ordinary bread and wine and transforms that to body and blood. And while the accidents remain and we still see bread and we taste bread and we see wine and we taste wine, it's no longer that. And that's, that's tough to grasp at times. And so this revival begins with fire in us to encounter God. The gospel gives us the assurance and the call out that God will answer, he will respond, but are we seeking him? And that's where it all has to kind of begin for us. We have to begin by seeking him, by wanting to seek him. So let's think about other ways to encounter God. This is actually the challenge for us for the week. So today doesn't count, but it's a good start. I'm proud of all of you. Encounters with God can happen through many ways. Let's just name a few. The first, sacraments. So we come to Mass, we receive the Eucharist, we are encountering the living God. When we go to confession and we have our sins heard by the priest and then absolved and forgiven, we hear God's mercy given to us. When we open scripture and we read in the Bible God's word, we encounter his word. When we come to adoration and we gaze upon him in the, the Eucharistic Lord, we, we see him. Or even if we just come into a church and knowing that he's in the tabernacle, we are in his presence. There can be a lot of other encounters, but those are just a few to begin with. And so the challenge is to this week, think about another time I will come and encounter God. Will it be through a daily mass? Will it be through a confession? Will it be through opening Bible? Will it be coming into the church? And I've talked a lot about confession, but it's really important. So I'm going to talk some more. With confession, it's the idea that we have to get out of our own way. And we have to be able to allow our pride or uh, the false humility, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment to actually just be surrendered to God. Because all of those things, pride, false humility, embarrassment, shame, uh, guilt, those are tactics from the evil one to try to prevent us from coming to receive God's mercy. But it's such a good encounter. And it's such a necessary encounter because our sins, while at the beginning of Mass we do do a penitential rite and our venial sins are forgiven, mortal sins can only be forgiven through the act of confession when you go to the priest who is in the person of Jesus Christ and says, I absolve you from your sins. Jesus Christ is literally saying to you, I absolve you from your sins. What? I know, right? Like, that's amazing. That's why I love confession. Because it's not me. I'm not, I don't care about your dirt. I mean, I don't remember squat in confession, honestly. But I see the miracle of freedom 
given to an individual who maybe for days or weeks or months or years was burdened by something that they didn't have to be burdened by. That God's mercy was, was steps away from them, moments away from them. So that could be a beautiful encounter. Adoration is such a gift, and we've been doing it every Friday, 4.30 to 5.30, so you're always welcome to come to that, where you can be in the living presence of God who just wants to look at you, who just wants to see you. And if there's not adoration, when you come into the church, we know that he is alive in the tabernacle. And we can come and just gaze and be in his presence because sometimes that's all we need. We just need to be around a person. This Eucharistic revival, it can't be a program because if it's from us, it will fail. But it's from God. And so it becomes this fire to fuel us and feed us and encourage us so that we can encounter someone and respond to someone that our prayer that our life may always come back to him and we may never grow weary. So that tension that we feel at times, that, that, that difficulty with our relationship with him, that can always be redeemed and healed. But we want to think about how this week we will come to encounter him in another way. You did it once, that's awesome, let's do it again. How do we keep coming back and encountering him? The other parts of the Eucharistic revival that we'll get into as we keep going along, um, one of them is uh, specifically looking at the liturgy. So Mass, for example, and, and taking time in the Mass to have holy silence because we're, we're in a world that's constantly consuming us by sound. So at the beginning, when we do that penitential rite, I deliberately take more time than maybe some of you are used to to just sit in the silence, to prepare our hearts. And, and silence is a good thing that maybe we have to practice at because it's a little uncomfortable. And that's okay. But we practice to get better at something. So there's other parts of the Mass that require that silence. You know, following the homily. Uh, before we receive communion or even after communion, there can be moments of silence that are really good for us. Because they're not meant to be uh, moments of daydreaming, but moments of refocus on him. My brothers and sisters, I invite us to, to seek encounter with God, to let a fire be started in our hearts so that we can respond to him with a persistence and a perseverance, knowing that he has assured us of his promise, that justice will be given in his time. So may we be able to accept his time and his love as we continue to seek him in encounters.